the reason why this was so much harder is because mm-hmm. I'm, tra- I'm trained to write television news. So I'm trained to write in short sentences. Uh, I'm trained to not ever put my own perspective into it. But for the first time, I had to describe things and I had to own these words. And mm-hmm. it was very, very hard. I didn't know. I had no idea how to do it. If you're a busy mom, but you have writing goals and dreams that you're working on, this podcast is here to help you achieve them. My name is Jackie, and I'm a mother and an author of a self-published young adult novel and a firm believer in the power of moms to create. This podcast is about finding inspiration and insight. It's about learning new ways to fuel your writing and to share your writing with the world. And sometimes, actually all the time, it's about taking a moment to just laugh at and appreciate the crazy everyday chaos that is being a writing mother. Hey guys, it's Jackie. Welcome to another episode of These Mums Write. This is your host, Jackie. Writing any kind of fiction takes courage. And in today's episode, Kathleen Aldworth Foster shares the unique challenges of writing historical fiction. Kathleen is a veteran journalist and television news producer who spent 25 years covering major breaking news events around the world. She is also the mother of twin five-year-old girls and recently published her first novel, Donnerell Court, The Story of the Lady Freemason. Kathleen's novel is based on the true story of Elizabeth Aldworth, the world's first Lady Freemason who, for those of you St. Patrick's Day lovers, will be happy to know was Irish. In this episode, Kathleen shares the 15-year journey that she went on to create this novel. I'm super excited for you to meet her. So without further ado, please welcome Kathleen Foster. Hello, Kathleen. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Hi, Jackie. Thank you for having me. So what are you really excited about right now? Well, the book. I mean, my book just came out this week. Uh, It was finally published after 15 years. It took 15 years to get to this point. So yeah, I have to say number one, my <laughs> I released my book this, this week. That is absolutely what I am most excited about right now. Tell me about this book. The idea for this book started on a trip to Ireland. So take us back there. This whole thing was really sparked by my interest in genealogy, uh, which my mom really got me into it. And she was really into it thanks to my great grandmother. And she named me after my great grandmother. So my name is Kathleen Aldworth. Her name was Kathleen Aldworth. Aldworth was her maiden name. So it was my interest in this Aldworth family that sparked this whole thing. I actually first found out about the Lady Freemason. Her name was Elizabeth Aldworth. Aldworth was her married name. So her name was Elizabeth St. Ledger Aldworth. And the first time I ever heard of her was at the pyramids uh, at Giza in the year 2000. I was there for New Year's Eve Y2K. And I met a man who was there in Egypt studying Freemasonry. And I'm sure I brought up my middle name because I talked to lots of people about it, especially British people, because originally it's a British name. And there's a town in Britain called Aldworth. And he said, yeah. And he said, did you know that you share that name with the first ever female Freemason? What? Yeah. You're kidding me. That just came up in a conversation with some guy when you're, I'm just hanging out in the pyramids for New Year's. Yeah, New Year's Eve 2000, right? Oh my gosh. There have been a lot of really, really strange, strange coincidences that have led to the writing and now the publication of this book. 
So, um, you know, it was 2000. The internet was not what it is today. So I, um, I never researched her. I just didn't. I'm, I'm surprised at myself that I didn't. But mm. so then fast forward uh, to 2006 and I was uh, back in the Middle East. I was in a little town called Kiryat Shmona, which is on this tiny peninsula of land that juts. Uh, it's in Israel and it juts into Lebanon. And I was there for three weeks covering a war between Hezbollah guerrillas and Israel. And I had to tell my bosses, I got to leave because I got to go on this genealogy trip with my family over in Ireland. Um, they were cool about it, but I had one quiet day. And on that one quiet day, I decided to do some genealogical research. And you'd think I would punch in some of the names that I knew of, but I didn't. I, I, I punched in Aldworth and up pops the lady Freemason. And it says there she's from County Cork. And I didn't, I didn't know until oh. then. So we landed in Shannon and my dad had hired a man to be our guide and drive us around. And I told my whole family what was what I had just learned. And the man says, oh, yeah, well, I know all about that. And the house where this took place is still standing. Do you want to go? And we went. We left. We went from the airport straight to Donnerill Court, which is the name of the house that she grew up in. And it's the place where she was caught spying on Freemasons. And the you know, the rest of the story is in the book, but I can give you a little a little rundown. <laughs> so wait a second. So you're in the Middle East. Yes. Okay. So because you, your previous role was TV producer, right? I TV was a, producer for 25 years. I was a journalist, which is amazing. I mean, that is just like a life goal accomplishment in and itself. And then so and then how did the genealogy uh, trip come up? Had you already planned that? Yeah, the genealogy trip was actually thanks to uh, another grandmother who had died, left us some money and wanted us to go back to where her parents were from, which is County Roscommon. So okay. that was the goal of that trip. We mm. took a little detour and that little detour turned into a book. Wow. So what happened when you got to the house? Well, I just remember standing there and the guide telling me this story and thinking, what? This is crazy. So she, the story is that when she was 17 years old, uh, she was accustomed to her parent, her father holding lodge meetings uh, mm. in her house. Okay. So one night she just so happened to fall asleep in the library, which was adjoining this lodge room where her father was with all these other gentlemen. And as the story goes, she took a pair of scissors and removed some bricks out of a wall to create a little spy hole. And through that spy hole, she watched an initiation take place. Oh. So, you know, there's so many unanswered questions there, right? Why were there loose bricks? Was the house under renovation? Mm. You know, what the butler was the man who caught her and he had a sword. Well, why did the butler have a sword? Her father was willing to kill her. What? Who saved her? What? I mean, there were just so many great questions. And then she shared the same name. So I wanted to know also mm. if she was related to me. So two things started at the same time the research into the story. I mm. wanted to find out as much as I could about her and about what she might have possibly gone through that night. Mm. And then simultaneously researching my own genealogy and hers to see where we overlap. Oh, yes. 
Yeah. This is like so, a, so your stories intersect with her story. Is that right? Well, so what I was hoping to find out was that maybe we would be directly related. Like she, maybe she was one of my great, great grandmothers, but she is absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> that was what I was able to confirm through this research I did. There's no way I could possibly be directly related to her. What it looks like is we are just very distant cousins through marriage. Oh, okay. Actually, it was one of the things that held me back from writing this book mm. as, as long as it did. I, I questioned myself. I had mm. so much self-doubt. Oh. And I felt like if I am not directly related to her, do mm. I have the right to write this book? Mm. And uh, it took it took a lot to to shake off that self doubt, um, and it helped that people in Donneril, people in her town, have said to me repeatedly, "This is your story to write. You wrote. Totally. It. We waited for you. Yeah, Aww. you were meant to write this story." Oh, God, it's so beautiful, Kathleen. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's been quite a. It's been it's been highly emotional and. It's been quite an adventure, the whole thing. And I love research. So, you know, I had to stop myself from doing research and start writing. Oh, I bet. And this is kind of like a a question that is maybe late in the conversation, but what is a Freemason? Yes. Okay. So I I knew that was going to (laughs) come. I have heard um, a Freemason refer to it as the oldest self-help group in the world. Which I think is really the perfect way to describe it today. Their motto is uh, not a man, a mason. You know, they're they're all about making themselves uh, the best person they can be because there are a lot of women Freemasons today. They're Mm -hmm. not allowed in the regular. That's what they call it. The regular uh, Freemasons, but uh, co-masonry, they are allowed. Anyway, um, what they do is go through these rituals and stages that they call degrees. And in these rituals, they are taught moral lessons that they take into their own lives. Oh, and there's a lot of secrecy, right? Yeah, and I think they want to keep it that way. Um, One of the most interesting things about the Elizabeth Aldworth story is that it took place in 1712, which Mm -hmm is one piece of proof that Freemasonry was in existence and operating in private homes long before Freemasonry was officially on the books with the creation of the Grand Lodge of Ireland in 19, in, sorry, 1725. Okay. And are you going to become a Freemason out of, after all this, do you think? I um, have talked to people about that. And right now, a Freemason said to me that it is best that I am not a Freemason because I, I think I might have a couple more books in me about her mm. and it would be and it, the way it would help me to not be a Freemason is that I would be peeling away the onions and I am exposing things that a Freemason would not be allowed to expose. Wow. Mm-hmm. This is, this is not just a book. This is like a, a journey Yes, it really is. Really is. And I'm terrified about starting book two. (laughs) Because book one was so much, so much effort. It was was really the hardest thing I've ever done. Why is this so much harder? Because I feel like covering a war in the Middle East sounds like really hard. Yeah, I know Ukraine. happening in Ukraine is really bringing back a lot of memories for me because I spent a lot of time there when uh, the Malaysia Airlines 
plane crashed in in Ukraine. Wow. So yeah, it kind of I'm starting to feel that like itch again about getting out there. But the reason why this was so much harder is because mm-hmm. I'm tra- I'm trained to write television news. So I'm trained to write in short sentences. Uh, I'm trained to not ever put my own perspective into it. Like mm-hmm. uh, if if I was on the the scene of that, that plane crash and mm-hmm. I wanted to describe it, I would really be more expected to describe it through the words of someone else, you know, like someone else, you know, so-and-so who's lived here her whole life tells me this is the most horrible thing she's ever seen, that Mm. there's, there are pieces of the plane in the back of her yard, right? Like, Mm. so everyone, so I would be quoting other people's descriptions, whereas Mm. for this, and I actually started off this project thinking I was going to write a nonfiction book, but there just wasn't enough there. I, I had to fictionalize large parts of it in order to even tell the the main line of it. Yeah. But for the first time, I had to describe things and I had to own these words. And mm. it was very, very hard. Uh, I've never written anything as long as this. So I I got help. I got as much help as I could afford. <laughs> I had developmental editors looking at it. Mm. Uh, I had a, a final editor who I I had trouble with certain scenes and mm. I hired someone to help me do it. Mm. I didn't know. I had no idea how to do it. So it was really, really hard. <laughs> and how do you think you changed through that process? Well, I certainly learned a new skill. And it, I mean, and that's just one of the skills I've learned since this whole process. You know, I, in the end, I decided to self-publish it. So, uh, gosh, that's a whole journey in itself. You know, yeah. I followed Facebook pages to learn how to do it. Oh, I I had originally hired a, a company to help me, and they were just absolutely useless. Oh. A large part of my story would have been gone if I had stayed with that company. Oh, There's, they were for marketing support. Uh, nope, they were no, they were editing and they were oh. going to publish it. Oh, okay, got it for me. For you, know, you. When I first got into this, I was still working full time and I just mm. didn't think I was going to have the time to do it. Yeah, um, but there's um, some secret code that Freemasons actually use, it's called the, the Masons cipher, or the sometimes it's called the pig pen cipher. And I put quite a bit of it into this book, and it required some graphics. And they just didn't want to have anything to do with these graphics, even though they promised me they would make them in the beginning. So I ended up firing them Mm. and hiring the guy who did my cover, who is a Freemason in Ireland. And he has actually lectured on Elizabeth Aldworth. So he was already familiar with the Mm. story and he made the most beautiful cover. And then he suggested we embed another secret message into the book. Oh, secret message. Yeah, so there's a secret message in the book. Oh, my God. I love it. Yeah, it's he put little characters. There's one on every page, unless it's got a blank. That means you have to leave a space. And it solves a mystery in the book. Oh, my God. That is cool. (laughs) We're getting into, like, Easter egg territory. Does it take us to a hidden treasure somewhere in Ireland? (laughs) No, it just, you know, there. I told you there was a lot of stuff I had to fictionalize. And mm. uh, there was just one storyline that was a little open-ended. I left a few so I could do it in book two. But mm. this one, um, together we decided mm. to to solve that one little 
tertiary mystery. Oh, that's so fun. So you've talked a little bit about how your, you know, your previous role influenced this work and the journey that has meant for you. What about motherhood? How did that play into all of this? Well, um, I have to say everything that I've done in my life seems like I have to fight so hard for it. And I had to fight hard to get these girls too. Mm. Uh, I went through IVF uh, and it, and it was just loss after loss after mm. loss. Um, finally on my fifth time, I only ever got one good embryo each time we were ready to give up. We were ready to just be those people who spoil other people's kids and travel <laughs> and, um, tried one last time and that embryo split and we now have identical twins <sighs> happens about one percent of the time wow so, yes so i have to say that they are definitely responsible for about five years of the delay in this <laughs> <laughs> that's fair that's i like your forthrightness i put everything aside for them mm -hmm. but they are really very interested in this book now and uh their, their names are actually Elizabeth. They, I gave them both my middle name, Aldworth, and they're Elizabeth Aldworth and Mary Aldworth. Ah, mm -hmm. so their names also comes up in the book. So, yes, and that was there was one part in the book that I almost I almost didn't name my daughter Mary because of one part in the book. Um, and I then I thought about maybe taking out that part in the book, but <laughs> it's um, it's true. It, I mean, it happened in real life, and mm. I know that Elizabeth Aldworth the lady Freemason had a sister named Mary. Oh, okay. So I won't give away what happened to poor Mary, but. Okay, but we know it's not good. <laughs> struggle, yeah. Yeah. But I did it anyway because she's named after my husband's grandmother. And mm -hmm. so writing a novel has changed your writing from like the journalistic style. Do you see any influences of just what it means to be a mom and what it means to be a writer? Well, I think that um, I was definitely, I was making a point by finishing this book. It, you know, I finished it during their lifetime and they saw me leave. They saw me mm. go to a hotel and just barricade myself until it was done. And then mm. they've watched me do this. The other day they went to the library with their class and they got their first library cards and they were so excited. They came home, you know, mom, your book needs to be in the library. Oh. So I, um, I emailed the library and they, they bought one. So now Aww. my book will be in the library and my girls just think this is the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> so I did do it to show them, you know, what moms can do. They can, mm. they're still a mom, but they can do pretty amazing things when they have to unfortunately walk away from you for a little while to do it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And what drew you to writing? Cause it sounds like, again, like, your previous career was, this sounds really exciting. Like, what, was it, did writing feel more exciting to you or what was that shift? Um, I've known my whole life that I was mm. going to write a book. Right. I just never knew what it was going to be mm. about. I started a couple of books before that never really went anywhere, but this one was different. This one was, it was a story that had to get out there into the world. And I felt like, uh, you know, I had to do it there were times where I was so afraid that someone mm. else was going to come in and, and do it first. Yeah. And, you know, um, <sighs> but it appeared to, to wait for me. Mm. It felt like, um, like this story 
needed to be told and this and you were the only person to tell it I guess I'm the only one who went in depth this way. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been plenty of other people who have written about her. Right. Uh, there have been uh, other writers. I mean, and I looked at all of their work. I, I, yeah. I read everything I could possibly read on her on the internet, things that have been published. But right. it was always kind of the same story. Here's what happened. Uh, here's, you know, here's the legend. And I wanted to go deeper into it. I wanted to imagine what she was like, what she was feeling, you know, why I I imagine she was, she probably would have been a journalist, you know, she probably Mm -hmm. spying on people and listening in, trying to figure out what was going on. Um, So in that way, I could identify with her. Mm -hmm. And then it was also, uh, it's a love story too. You know, she ended up, I don't know how much I want to give away, but you know, (laughs) Um, there's a way she, be, she got that name Aldworth. <laughs> yeah. And do you feel like that the experience of writing that novel is, is fulfilling you in a different way than other things have before? Absolutely. For, for the first time, I feel like I really own my work. Uh, I wrote plenty of articles for the web in my past that, that had my name on it, but for the majority of the time in television, I was supporting the reporter on TV. So even if I wrote their entire script, mm. it was theirs. This is mine and only mine. And that feels great. That, that, is, that is, I think, just so well said. I feel like as writers, that is the exciting part. I mean, again, I relate to it because I'm in communications. And so I'm always writing. Right. But it's, you're writing for a corporate voice. Right. Right. Not writing my voice. And when I do my own writing projects, I'm like, this is me. Yeah. You're representing someone else when you're doing that work. Mm -hmm. You're, you're just representing yourself. Yeah. And you're hoping you're getting it right. You know, especially with historical fiction, you want to get as much right as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. But it's your treatment, right? Like, so even if someone else had written her story, like, None of it, it wouldn't have been the same as Kathleen's story, Kathleen's version of it. Right. And there are people out there who believe that um, the legend that I'm telling isn't the way it happened. They have their own theories of how she became the Lady Freemason. I said, okay, then you write that, that version. Yeah. Still be more. Yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. So what's happening with the story next? Oh, yes. So um, one of the wonderful things that happened along the, the way of writing this book and researching this book is that the, the Office of Public Works in Ireland owns this house now, Don Rail Court. And back in 2013, they allowed me in the house so I could sit in the rooms where this whole thing took place and start really writing the book and did all of my research. So wow. when I finally finished it, I reached out to them and we are going to put together a reading at at the house as soon wow. as it reopens. Uh, this it should be later this spring, and it's going to be alongside uh, another Freemason who was instrumental in my whole journey here in proofreading me and making sure I wasn't making any glaring errors as far as Freemasonry goes. And he runs a small museum dedicated to her. So there'll be an exhibit dedicated to the Lady Freemason and a talk by the two of us sometime this spring. Wow. And what impact, like we talk about her being the first Lady Freemason, like what does that mean, do you think? 
I think it paved the way for what's called co-masonry today or universal masonry today. But what's interesting about her is that she didn't just stop there at her emergency initiation. You know, okay, she saw stuff. Let's put her through this initiation. Let's swear her to secrecy. And then that's, that's it. But she didn't stop there in real life. Mm. She kept going. So she went through the first degree, say that first night. It was actually the first two degrees historically, but it's kind of complicated. I won't really get into it too much. Things have changed. Yeah, things have changed. So in the first book, she'll go through uh, the entered apprentice degree. And then the, uh, so I'm thinking the second book, she can go through fellow craft. And then the third book, she can become a master mason. So those are the Mm. three main degrees in Freemasons, the first three and the main three. You can go farther in different um, sects of it, but for the majority of masons, this is what they do. So so that's what I'm thinking about. That's what's next is maybe doing a, a second, third, and possibly a fourth book because she died in 1775. So that would be right prior to the Declaration of Independence in 1776 here in the United States. Wow. I know, so much. I feel like you learning about Freemasonry history is like your own Freemasonry experience because you're evolving as a result of this. Absolutely. And I learn lessons from them that I use in my real life. The things that they say to each other go through my head regularly. Like, um, there's, there's one that I've used a lot this week in my head, and that is um, uh, praise publicly, criticize in private. And it's such a good lesson to remember. You know, wh- why, why are you going to do that to someone? So, so, so someone messed up. Mm. Praise that person publicly. Criticize privately. Yeah, I feel like this Freemasonry topic is very fascinating because mm-hmm. it's very little known about it. I think we've all heard that term before. Yes. But like, there's I see around it. There's secrecy. Yeah. They want there to be secrecy around it because it does keep up this mystique, but, but there is so much more to it than, than we're, we're even touching now. And, and really what mm. there is to it is, is the history of Freemasonry prior to 1725s, prior to when they started taking dues and meeting in pubs and, you know, creating the United States. <laughs> there's there's a whole history that could date back to the pyramids mm. and definitely to Jerusalem. Wow. At the time of King David, a lot of their rituals uh, revolve around uh, the stories of, of Solomon and David and uh, the Temple of Solomon, the first temple. It's, it's, it's fast. It's really fascinating stuff. And did you get as excited about your journalistic stories? Because when I see you here, just you're just so lit up. Yes, only this time now I can really I can really own it. But mm. I, but I did. I had some amazing experiences, some horrifying experiences, and some beautiful experiences in my career in journalism. I mm. mean, I was um, I was. What I'm thinking about right now is the earthquake in Haiti, and um, what was that? 2010. I spent 21 days there. Either t- yeah. 21, three weeks, about three weeks. And I spent a, a lot of time talking about uh, orphanages and mm. these, these babies that were supposed to be adopted by American families. Mm. And 
I, and I didn't stop there with these, with these children. I'm still in contact with some of these children that I met there and who I watched be finally united with their adoptive parents in, mm. in the States. And yeah, I mean, you really just can't help but be really permanently touched by stories like that. So do you think that you might draw on some of those other experiences for other future novels, like maybe a novel set in Haiti? Um, no, I have so many other ideas first mm. that are all kind of related to um, new research that I want to do. And it's and it's all uh, based on my family, family stories. I mean, I think mm. that all writers should know that look into your family history. Mm. You never know what's going to be there. Check out some newspaper uh, articles. I mean, like I found a newspaper article about um, someone with my dad's name i don't know if this guy is actually related to us but he he robbed a an armored truck killed the guy took the money buried it at his mother's grave in the cemetery to hide the money but was caught had to show them oh sorry well you know the money's right here with my mom and then he got the electric chair i mean it's just oh. like really every, and i'm sure that everyone has there's a novel right there mm. in your family. so this is your yeah family history is your passion yeah, history in general is my passion. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember being in high school when I was um, a senior in high school and looking at the textbook and everything was, you know, as told by the New York Times. And I thought, oh, well, that's what journalism is. Journalists are recorders of history. That's what I want to do. And so writing historical is kind of like an, uh, an extension of that, because now you're digging deeper into the past versus recording like you said recording history that's one part of it now you're digging into the past to uncover what what happened back then what was what was that story that's been overlooked and forgotten right the fiction mm -hmm. part of it is really tough for me still mm. it's liberating but really very 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 hard for me why do you think that is why because I, i'm making stuff up i've never never made stuff up before <laughs> you know it was against everything i was ever taught yeah. So I think that was another thing that really just that self-doubt really held me back for a long, long time. So it's like the vestiges of your previous career, like pulling you down and mm -hmm. and telling you like what you're doing isn't right. 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 And then the just not feeling that all of the ownership, you know, and don't right. want to make anyone in the town angry because I've used this name or that name and you know, and I, and I have a friend who I made in Donnerill in the town. She was working in the tea houses at the house when they allowed me to go in and research. And she became my alpha reader. She read over the past 10 years, every single version of this book that I had. <laughs> and I would talk to her about this self-doubt and she would just say, it's your story. It's your mm. book. It's your story. Mm. So without her, I don't think I would have ever done it. Wow. It's so, I think it's just so beautiful that you can share those pieces that were holding you back because I think we all have those and maybe with historical fiction, it's more obvious because yeah, you have that, that sense of like, is it, is this right? Is this accurate? Is this mine? But you know, we all have those stories. If you're writing romance, is, is this too smutty? Is this embarrassing? You know, if it's thriller, is this too dark? You know what I mean? Or mm -hmm. do I have the right to tell this story? Do mm -hmm. I have the right to tell any story as a, 
as a mother as well? Do I have the right to write, you know? Right, right. And you don't want your kids to have any fallout over something you've done, right? (laughs) (laughs) But it's also really cool that you were able to develop all these friendships in Ireland that helped you along the way. And they're still helping me today. I mean, the, the Sheila, the woman I was just talking about, she's getting a shipment of 30 books to drop off around at different bookstores over there. Oh, wow. Which is, you know, even for those of writing moms that aren't writing historical fiction, I think, again, like that lesson about like building up your community, right, is so important because maybe it's not a bookstore in Ireland, but maybe it's something else that, you know, you've demonstrated that like through through the process itself you're actually building up your 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 community your champions that help you get the book out by you know taking risks i mean when you went to ireland i think that's that's a pretty big step for a lot of people and, yeah, and you know and during that time um was a 2012, 2013, you know, I was, I was really going through some major infertility problems. So Mm. this book helped me get through that as well. The research and just having something to dive into when, you know, I was failing so miserably at something else. Mm -hmm. And it ends up being a legacy I can pass down to these girls. You know, today I, I, I didn't realize that they even knew the name of my book. Mm. You know, just refer to it as my book. And uh, I said, do you, do you even know it? And, and Elizabeth said, yeah, yeah Donna Rail Court. Aww. It's about the other Elizabeth. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. And they're young, right? Five? They're five. Yeah. And so um, what piece of advice would you give yourself? So you, you mentioned that it took you 15 years mm-hmm. to write the book. So what would you give to yourself, you know, back 15 years ago. So uh, I'm going to do the math, 2207. I would tell my former self to not do things step-by-step and in order. Mm. This is something I learned, and it's really more about the publishing end than it is about the the writing and the research end. I wish that I had gotten on to KDP or Ingram and just pretended like I was going to publish a book because I made so many mistakes in the publishing aspect of it. You know, do I want eight by five trim? Do I want paperback? Do I want, there are so many little decisions that you have to make that if I had uh, stepped, uh, taken a few steps ahead and found those things out, everything else would have fallen in place a little bit better. So mm-hmm. even though there's so much to do and everyone says, oh, just take it step by step, take it. You know what? Don't take it step by step when it comes to this. Jump ahead a little bit, see what it was, see what it might be like to actually publish this book and then put all your ducks in a row. And, and did you publish it? Where, which platforms did you publish it to? I did both KDP and Ingram. Hmm. So just spending some time to understand the formatting requirements of those platforms. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, and knowing your limits, you know, like, sure. You might be the greatest writer, but are you the best graphic designer? No, probably not. Hire someone, (laughs) hire someone who was going to do it right and give you something beautiful. 
hire editors if you can and take all the help you can get because we we often just do everything ourselves writers right and then we and now that self-publishing is a thing we think we can do that too i think we all need to know our limits and know when we need to get help and you'll end up with a better product mm -hmm. yeah that's a really good advice um absolutely i think that it's it's it is so tempting to try to do so many of the things but we can't be everything and I, I feel like sometimes too that overwhelms writers and then they shut down i know for myself i did get overwhelmed if you can do it if you you know have the budget to get some help you absolutely 100 percent do it wonderful so where can folks get in touch with you and 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 find your book Oh yeah, so um, we ha I have a website, donnarellcourt.com. You could buy the book there. It's on Amazon, it's on Barnes and Noble. I'm seeing it pop. Um, my next door neighbors are uh, independent bookstore owners. So they've put out, it's they own the bookstore Word. It's in Jer New Jersey. Uh, and they're gonna be popping over some books over to me to sign and they're gonna mail them out. Oh, so exciting. Yeah, it's a really fun group effort. Yeah, it is a group effort mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. I'm sure your acknowledgement pages is, is like very long. <laughs> very long. I get <laughs> I get that sense, Kathleen. Well, wonderful. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. And I'm really excited to share this podcast on St. Patrick's Day. Right. Yes, it's it's perfect timing for Irish roots. That's right. But you have to do an Irish accent. I mean, my my grandmother was first generation Irish and everyone in her family, they just always made uh, statements in the form of a question. Oh, really? Is yeah. that part of the magic? And, and, yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's the only thing I really, I can't do an Irish accent, but you know, and didn't that car crash, you know, when you thought it was going to crash? Oh, and, didn't it crash when you thought yeah, it would crash? Yeah. You're right. And, it yeah. is about and questions. Wasn't he right there? Wasn't he right there? Okay, yes. Oh my God, you just cracked it right there. Yeah, oh, I did. <laughs> Phrasing statements as questions. Yes, yes. Oh my God, I love that. I'm gonna do really bad Irish accents now for the entire weekend, and I will say it's Kathleen Foster's fault. I hope you enjoyed the conversation, and aren't these the top five takeaways? Number one, if you can afford it, get help, and if you can't, make friends. Because number two, it takes a village to write a book. Number three, if you hear a voice in your head questioning whether this is your story to tell, ignore it. If it came to you, the story was meant for you to write. Number four, writing is a feat of bravery. Be proud of that. Number five, looking for inspiration? Look into your own family history. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I know you are very busy, so that means a lot. If you haven't already, check out my Facebook group, These Mums Write. This is a place where myself and other mums and guests talk writing. If you have any comments about the show, feel free to DM me on Instagram at Jackie Amston. I'm always excited to hear from listeners about what I can do better. It would help me so much if you could like and review the podcast on Spotify or Apple. I'll talk to you next week and... In the meantime, happy St. Patrick's Day.